46. Jeremiah 46. If you look at your sheets, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to try to do 46, 47, 48, and 49 tonight. Lots to cover. Lots to cover. And the reason we're stopping at 49 is because uh, Jeremiah 50 and 51 deal with Babylon. And we're going to do that on its own separately. So tonight, Jeremiah 46, 47, 48, and 49. And then in next week, we'll do 50 and 51, which deals specifically with Babylon. The reason we're doing so many chapters here tonight is because we're in this judgment section. And if you look at your sheets... There's numerous nations mentioned here, Egypt, the Philistines, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Damascus, Kedar, and Hazar, and Elam. These are all nations that God signals out for judgment. I will be honest with you, this was a difficult lesson. And it's not difficult in the sense of um, the ideas behind it or the theology. It was difficult in the sense of, Lord, how do we present this? Because if you look at some of these chapters, it just goes on and on and on about judgment again and again and again. And all these different nations that a lot of us don't usually talk about too often, and some of them don't even exist anymore. Some of them are present-day countries, like Elam is more of a present-day Iran, etc. So what I did here, and it didn't come across real good in the copying, but I put a little map up at the top. And I was going to put it on a PowerPoint thing, and I couldn't even take, get that taken care of here the way I wanted it to. So I thought, I'm just going to put it on the sheet. It doesn't print across the way I wanted it to, but you can at least see where most of these nations were. And as you look at this, these nations just encircled Israel. And I know if you're the type of person that's not a big fan of history, you're going to look at some of this and stuff and say, I don't care about Moab. I don't care about Elam. I don't care about Damascus. This is not going to grow me in my walk with Christ. And I beg to differ with you. Because God makes it abundantly clear, as we study what happened to the people in the past, we can learn how to grow in our walks with Christ in the future. That's something that's very vitally important to do. So what we're going to do is go through and talk about these nations. We're going to talk about what they did wrong. And you can see one of the first points we say up there is God never forgets. He never forgets. Look at that verse we put down here. This is Psalm 75. It says, God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. For in the hand of the Lord there's a cup, and the wine is red. It is fully mixed. He pours it out. Surely at dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. And this is an ongoing picture that God uses of the wine press of judgment, of, of these nations being crushed, the wine flowing blight red as, as this idea of blood. Now, here's the thing. If you only hear the first half of this message, you're you're missing the most important point. Because what do we always say out here? Wherever there's judgment, there's grace. And you will see grace tonight. We will get to it. But before we get to grace, we have to talk about these judgments. First nation we talk about is Jeremiah in 46. And what you're going to see here, and it takes up all of chapter 46, is Egypt. Now, Egypt is the first bad guy, kind of, if you will, in the Old Testament. Egypt's the one that enslaved Israel. Egypt is the one that had Pharaoh. And in the book of Exodus, Moses had to lead them out. Egypt is the one that tried to chase down Israel. And they were all destroyed in the Red Sea. Egypt has been this problem. Egypt was a problem in our study in the book of Jeremiah. Egypt was a nation that tried to pull Israel out of trusting in God and trusting in themselves. So Egypt has kind of been this bad guy here for a couple thousands of years. Well, in Jeremiah 46, God basically says enough is enough. It's time for you to be judged. 
And I tried to put a reference with each one of these nations to show you what God was upset about. For the Egypt one, you can look at verse 25 real quick in Jeremiah 46. It says, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, Behold, I will bring punishment on Ammon of No and Pharaoh in Egypt. Those are different Egyptian gods. With their gods and their kings, Pharaohs and those who trust in them. I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their lives, in the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of his servants. Afterward it shall be inhabited as in the days of old, says the Lord. God says basically enough is enough. Throughout Jeremiah, I'm tired of you trying to bring my child Israel down. Enough is enough. I'm tired of your false worship and your false gods. Egypt has to be punished. Egypt throughout the Bible has always represented the world and it represents the world system. And God says it's time for this to be punished and that's exactly what happened. The details given in this prophecy are absolutely amazing. Look at verse 2, if you will, of just of Jeremiah 46. It says, Against Egypt concerning the army of Pharaoh, Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates in Carchemish, in which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Now, if you're like me, you start reading verse 2 and you start tuning out about ten words into it. Don't. That is a power-packed verse right there where it talks about the end of Egypt and the details in which that was. He gives the name of the battle. You can go look this up in history. The Battle of Carchemish, where they are defeated, where Egypt ceases to be a world power, how Nebuchadnezzar came in and did this. This is all something that God said, this is what's going to happen. Enough is enough. God never forgets. Egypt, I know what you've done. I know what you've done to Israel. It's time to be done with this. And so therefore, you're being judged. So all of Jeremiah 46 is God's case against Egypt. Egypt is beautiful. Egypt is memorialized in history today as being this amazing nation. Look at verse 20, if you will. Egypt is a very pretty heifer. Now that's not a great pickup line, and I do not encourage you to use that. But from a biblical standpoint, that's a compliment. You're a pretty heifer. Well, but destruction comes, it comes from the north. What was north of Egypt? Babylon. God says, yeah, you're beautiful. Yeah, you're wonderful. I mean, Egypt is this historical masterpiece. God says you're going to be judged. And that's exactly what happened in Jeremiah 46. Egypt is judged for everything they have done. Now, if you go to our next one here, look at Jeremiah 47. Now we get to talk about the Philistines. If Egypt is the first bad guy in the Old Testament, Philistines is the number one bad guy. The Philistines are always having problems with Israel. And I was trying to find a great verse that dealt with the Philistines being a problem. And it's like, you know what? There's not a great verse in the Philistines being a problem. There's just a great book. Go read the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, the Philistines and the Israelites are always battling back and forth. Philistines were a problem basically up until the reign of King David. And finally, David finally put the Philistines down. They were this constant problem to the nation of Israel. And the same thing, verse 2, thus says the Lord, Behold, waters rise out of the north. What's the north? Babylon. God uses Babylon again as his judgment force to come destroy the Philistines for everything they've done. Things that happened hundreds of years before, God never forgets. So when you go read the book of Judges and you see what the Philistines did, when you go start reading the book of 1 Samuel and you see what the Philistines did and you say, how can they get away with this stuff? They don't get away with it. God never forgets. It's the same thing that happens today. If someone chooses not to accept Christ as their Savior and they live their life in sin, well, how can they get away with that? They're not getting away with it. God never forgets. And that's the thing. Same thing with the Philistines. They are judged for what they did. Now, 
Moving on here, we're going to combine these two together. What you have here in chapter 48 is you have the nation of Moab. And then what you have in chapter 49, you have the nation of Ammon. Now, I put these two together because they're descendants of Lot. Now, if you remember the story here in Lot, in Genesis 19, Lot was taken out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. As he's taken out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the only people that survive are Lot and his two daughters. Lot's in a pretty tough spot. Well, his daughters think the world is basically ended, so they have this horrible idea. They say, hey, since there's probably no guy left for us, why don't we go ahead and get dad drunk? And so they got their father drunk. They then slept with their father. They had an incestual relationship with their dad, and they had children, which became the people of Moab and became the people of Ammon. Not the best start to a nation. And these people of Moab and Ammon were a pain to Israel ever since. What did they do wrong? In Deuteronomy 23, and you can turn there sometime if you ever want to look at it. In Deuteronomy 23, when the nation of Israel was coming out of Egypt, the people of Moab and Ammon, instead of helping them, decided, hey, they're vulnerable. Now's a great time to attack them. God never forgets. Hundreds of years later, God has not forgotten what the people of Moab and Ammon did to the nation of Israel. Now, I want to stop here for a second. Because it's starting to sound like God holds grudges, (laughs) doesn't it? God never forgets. Boy, if you wrong God one time, he will remember that and hold that over your head. See, the thing is, you got to remember, God is what we call a righteous judge. When somebody's a righteous judge, that means every decision they make has to be done in fairness and in truth. If God lets the people of Ammon go, but not the people of Moab... He's not fair and righteous. If God says, Egypt, I'll let you go, but I'm still going to judge the Philistines, God is not fair and righteous. God's fairness and God's righteousness means that all these sin accounts stay. And he remembers that. And that judgment has to come. So when God says in Deuteronomy 23, I remember what Moab and Ammon did and they will be judged for that. Even though a thousand years passes, God still remembers. Now, I hope you're not like this, but you probably know somebody who is. Do you know somebody who has a tendency to fly off the handle and say things they don't mean, but yet they still say it? Do you know what they said to me? No, I am never talking to them again. Okay, that's not true. You're going to talk to them again. I'm never going there again. Yeah, you probably are going to go there again. We're never doing this again. We probably will do this again. They speak out of emotion. They speak out of frustration. And they make these huge, what I like to call, grandiose statements. Well, God has some grandiose statements. The problem is God never forgets. So when he said to the people of Moab and Ammon, I remember what you did, and there will be a judgment for that. He never forgets. So now let's just stop there for a second. So we've got a few more nations to talk about. Anybody got any quick questions, comments here over anything with Egypt, the Philistines, Moab, or Ammon before we move on with the rest of them here? Ask Cindy. No, these nations were not following God, God's word. No. Yep, that's right. They were. Yep. All of them. All of them here were always given a chance. And generally speaking, before these prophecies actually were fulfilled of destruction, God sent prophets to them to say, hey, this is what's going to happen. They just chose not to listen. And all these people here were given opportunities to become part of Israel. If you actually go read the Old Testament law, God allows these nations to repent and become Jews if they chose to. And a lot of these nations chose not to. Agreed. And don't steal my final points, okay? Because maybe some of these nations, maybe, maybe some of these nations do repent, but we don't know for sure. Um, That's okay. 
See, sometimes they put these notes on the paper. It's like, if I put the notes on the paper, they're going to know what happens. Don't read the bottom half. Don't read the bottom half. Um, Yes, some nations get it. Some nations don't. So, with that being said, our next one, Edom. Have you ever met an Edomite? No. (laughs) They didn't get it. Uh, They chose not to, and so they were completely and utterly destroyed. Edom is the descendants of Esau. Now, we already talked about Lot. Esau, we remember Jacob and Esau, the whole story there. Jacob and Esau, they were the twins. And what happened is Esau was older, so Esau was supposed to get the birthright, and Esau was supposed to become the father of the nation of Israel. Well, what happened is Jacob stole the birthright from Esau. Jacob's name actually means deceiver. He stole that from Esau, and Jacob became the father of the 12 tribes. So that's where Jacob's position came. Well, his brother Esau kind of went downhill, and they became the Edomites. And the Edomites just were an annoying group of people. And in Psalm 137, and also in the book of Obadiah, if you ever want to stay out the book of Obadiah, what happened is, as the nation of Israel being attacked, and the Edomites are sitting in their hills and their mountains, watching the nation of Israel getting attacked, they're cheering on the nations attacking Israel. God says, I don't like that. I don't like it that I believe it's in the Psalm 137 passage that the Edomites basically sat up there and chanted, raise it, raise it, destroy it. So God says, no, I don't forget that. I know what you did to my nation. I know what you did to my kids. And instead of you coming to help them in their time of need, you sat there and cheered them on. God says, I don't forget that. So that's the nation of Edom that we see. And those guys are found here. And I want to keep giving you the references is what you see is where's Edom at? Edom is in uh, Jeremiah 49, and that's going to be starting in verse 7. And so they then were going to be destroyed for what they were doing. Next one is going to be in Jeremiah 49, starting in verse 23, and you see now Damascus. Damascus is the capital of Syria. And Damascus is kind of fascinating. It's still around today, the city of Damascus over there. So the capital of Syria, and Damascus was the bad guys in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And if you go read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you see all the problems that Damascus did and Syria did. And they were problems all the way from there. And I, next one here you can see in Jeremiah 49, it's Kidar and Hazar. Kidar and Hazar. Now those are ones you don't know too much about. That's the descendants of Ishmael. And if you remember Ishmael, that is Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was the son of uh, Abraham who had it through his maidservant Hagar. And if you remember that story... Ishmael wanted to, excuse me, uh, Abraham and Sarah really wanted to have a child. God promised them a child. Well, now they're up in their 90s and no child is coming. So Sarah has the great idea of, hey, let's get a kid somehow. So here's my maidservant Hagar. You go sleep with Hagar and we'll at least have a child through her. Well, he did that and he had a child and that child became Ishmael. Well, you know what happened. Sarah started disliking Ishmael. Sarah became pregnant miraculously with Isaac. And once Isaac was born, Ishmael was basically kind of kicked out. Ishmael kind of represents the flesh. It represents this fleshly response to things, and I'm going to do it my way. It doesn't matter what God says. And so Ishmael was a problem. And these are descendants of Ishmael, Kidar and Hazar. These are warlike tribes, and you still see that around today with the people of the Muslims, this warlikeness. And back in Psalm 120, when they talk about Kidar and Hazar, these guys are just constantly battling there's this anger, there's this, this fighting mentality, and they had that towards Israel. And God says, you know what, enough is enough. I'm not dealing with this anymore. They're going to be judged. And our last one here, at the end of Judges, uh, Jeremiah 49, is Elam. Elam, 
once again kind of gets sucked into the nation of Persia. And you see in Daniel 8 that they're part of the group that comes and overtakes Israel when uh, Persia comes and defeats the Babylonians. And God says that they are going to be judged as well too. Now, once again, there's all this judgment. And you may be sitting here thinking, okay, I get the point. All these nations did something wrong. All these nations are going to be judged. That's exactly what it is. But now we have to make a segue into what we need to talk about more importantly. Is if all these nations have done something wrong, and they all have done something deserving of judgment, what makes us any different from them? We've all done something wrong. We all have deserving of judgment. And if God never forgets, and we just read Psalm 75, that He is the judge. Look at that verse again. God is the judge. And we've already established the case that God is fair and just. He can't pretend that sin didn't happen. It has to be dealt with. I am no different from Egypt, the Philistines, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Damascus, Kedar, Hazar, and Elam. I am no different from any of them. I don't represent a nation, but as an individual, I have sinned. And that sin has to be utterly dealt with. And if God never forgets, how do we balance this? Well, we balance this with Hebrews 8.12. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. That's an amazing thing about the Lord. For as amazing as God is, and as amazing as His power and might is, He's got an awful memory. An awful memory. Because as soon as I say, I am sorry, and I repent, God forgives and God forgets. Now here's the thing about human nature. I don't forget. I still carry burdens and struggles of things I did 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Some of you are carrying burdens and struggles of choices that you made decades ago, and you haven't forgotten it. But yet, when you bring it up to the Lord, the Lord scratches his head and says, I really don't know what you're talking about. That is so forgotten. It's so forgiven. And that's this beauty of this constant empty slate. So as we talked about earlier, why is it that some are forgotten and some aren't? Well, some of these nations saw the error of their ways and said, we want to be different. Look at the references we put down here. Go to Jeremiah 48, please. Jeremiah 48. Some of these nations, God says, I'm going to judge you. And he did judge them. But also look, look at Jeremiah 48. Look at verse 47. Yet I will bring back the captives of Moab in the latter days, says the Lord. Thus far is the judgment of Moab. God says, you know what, Moab? In the latter days, you and I are going to work this out and we're going to be okay. Jump ahead to Jeremiah 49. Look at verse 6. Afterward, I will bring back the captives of the people of Ammon, says the Lord. He says, okay, Ammon, you and I are going to be able to work this out. Let's move on. Look at verse 39 of Jeremiah 49. But shall come to pass in the latter days, I will bring back the captives of Elam, says the Lord. And we also, there's other references too. Egypt gets it. Egypt is one of the greatest tools of witnessing in the Bible. If you study out the whole Bible, Egypt is awful, horrible, bad. Egypt will be judged. Egypt is judged. But in end time prophecy, Egypt gets it. And you see it. You see it happening. And so even though God judged these nations, there are certain ones that got it, and they got a chance to taste the grace and mercy of the Lord. So even though the Lord judged, God also gives righteousness too. We got this thing at home, which we do, if we ever have to you know, discipline one of the boys. And what happens is we take them and we go to our room and we say, okay, here's what you guys did wrong. This is the situation. And we have to take care of this and we explain it and we do it. And as soon as it's done, I usually pick them up and I look at them and say, you know what? It's over. It's over. 
Let's not hold on to this anymore. It's over, it's done, and we move on. You know, sometimes Dawn and I will have disagreements about things. And you know what? We'll be in the middle of this discussion. And you see the lights click on. And Dawn sometimes will stop there and say in the middle of the discussion, you know what? I see what you're saying. I'm sorry about that. And in my flesh, I want the argument to continue. How can you continue when someone sincerely says they're sorry? I mean, how can you? Isn't that the beauty of the Lord? The Lord, I'm sorry for that thought. Yeah, you're... No, it's done. It's over. It's over. Isn't that amazing? I say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sincerely repentant of what I've done. And I say, Lord, I'm sorry. And it's forgiven and forgotten just like that. And it's the same thing here with Moab and Ammon and Egypt and Elam. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not smart enough to look here and say, okay, Lord, what did Moab do? What does Ammon do? What does Elam do? What does Egypt do to make them get it and switch? What is it that Edom didn't do? What is it that the Philistines didn't do? And you know what? I'm not in the place of God. I can't see that and say. Some of these nations, they got it. Some of these nations, when we sit here and we are going to be up in heaven, these nations are going to have their righteousness made right with Christ as well too. And that's a beautiful picture here of grace and mercy. It's a wonderful thing. Turn, if you will, to 1 John real quick. 1 John. Let's talk about this idea of grace and mercy because we as a tendency as a human being... We never forget. I can just list off names of people from history. And as soon as I name them, you're going to be able to remember the thing they did wrong. That's what we do. You have people in your life that as soon as you see them, the first thing you think of, yeah, I remember what they did. I remember what they said. I remember how they acted. We don't forget. Even though you may forgive that person in the back of your mind, I remember when they said that to me. I remember when they snapped at me. God can say, I can completely let it go. I can forgive, I can forget, and be merciful here. Look at 1 John, if you will. 1 John, verse 6, chapter 1, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's one of the most simple verses in the entire Bible. If I confess my sins, confess means to agree with. So I agree with God that I have sinned, I am wrong. He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Just like that. To forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness. We talked about how God is a just God. Sin must be punished. Sin must be dealt with. But here in verse 9... He's a just God, for He also forgives. See, that's the justice of God. If I come in with unconfessed sin, He is a just God. He's a righteous God. I will be judged. But if I come in with the heart of forgiveness, if I come in with the heart of repentance and confession, He is a just God. He's a righteous God. He forgives. So, God never forgets. That's completely true. God forgets. That's also completely true. That they're not contradictory statements. It just depends on what side of that you want to be on. Do you want to be on the side of never forgetting and never having your sins taken care of? Then join the nations of the Philistines and Elam and Kedar and Hazar, etc. God says, I won't forget the error and the sin that you did and you will be judged for that. 
Or do you want to be on the other side where God says, I'm a fair, just God, and I will also forgive? That's the beauty of this. Stay in 1 John and just look at chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That word propitiation is a big fancy word that means appeasement. means that he paid the price. That word advocate in verse 1 of chapter 2, that's actually a Greek word that means defense lawyer, defense attorney. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So that way when you stand before God, who is fair and just and says sins must be dealt with, your defense attorney Jesus steps in and says, I will be the propitiation, I will be the appeasement, I'll take care of this for him. So God then says, you got it covered? I forget that judgment and sin now because Jesus took care of it for us. If you choose not to have Jesus as your defense attorney and him be your propitiation appeasement, God says, I will not forget because it has to be taken care of. So all these nations here in 46 through 49, you can read through these chapters and you can sit there and you can walk away and say, this is the problem I have with God. This just goes on for four chapters. He's angry, he's ticked, he's going to judge this person, he's going to judge that person, and everybody's going to die. That's true. Or you can stop and say for these four chapters that he gave Egypt about a thousand years of grace. To say Egypt changed. He gave the Philistines hundreds of years. Moab, Ammon, hundreds of years of grace. And they chose not to listen. You can then look at these chapters and say, you know what? I won't skip over 48, 47, 49, 6, etc. I will read those verses and say, yeah, these people also choose to come back. And God welcomes them with open arms. See, we have this tendency. We have this tendency in human nature to think that I have done something that can't be forgiven. I have crossed such a line that it can't be taken care of. Here's the last verse I want to share with you guys, then we're going to be done. Can you go to Philippians, please? Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, you get a little tiny testimony of the Apostle Paul. And if you don't know the background of Paul, Paul, before he got saved, his job was to round up Christians and have them killed. That's what Paul did. So much so that when Paul got saved and he went to the church to try to tell them, look, I'm a different person, the church wouldn't accept him. Because they said they thought it was some type of act that Paul was just pretending. So if anybody carried a burden of past sins, it would have to be Paul. Anytime Paul went to go preach the gospel, don't you think there was that little voice in the back of his head said, you used to round these people up and kill them. How many parents, how many moms and dads, how many kids did you have rounded up and killed for the name of Jesus, and now you're telling people to accept Christ? If anybody would have baggage, it'd be Paul. But what does Paul say about his past? Verse 12 of Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Verse 12, very simply put, I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect, but I keep moving forward. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul says, I forget those things in the past and I move forward. Paul could have been a broken man. He could have heard about Jesus and said, no way, I can't accept the fact that someone like Jesus would forgive me for what I did to his people. He could have heard about Jesus, and he could have spent his life hiding in some room saying, not me. Paul says, no, I forget those things in my past, and I move forward in Christ. 
That's the beautiful thing about forgiveness. If God so freely forgives us, why do we not forgive ourselves and move forward in Christ Jesus? Look at the rest of that passage in verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I keep moving forward. Every now and then I'll run into somebody who can't accept forgiveness. They just can't believe. And I take them to this passage and I try to say to them, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. Just like Moab and Ammon and Elam and Egypt, you can be forgiven. You can come back. It's a beautiful thing. So what it comes down to, in chapters 46 through 49 of Jeremiah, you can either focus on God being angry, and He just wants to judge everybody, or you can focus on, yes, God judged because He's fair and just. Sin had to be dealt with. He gave them hundreds, if not thousands of years of a chance to repent. And he still let them come back into the fold of his love because he's a loving God to these nations that wanted to come back. I like to lean towards the second one. When I study out those chapters, I love seeing those verses of bring the captives back. Ah, oh, that just made me smile. Lord, you let them come back. That's grace and mercy. I love it. I absolutely love it. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here about this stuff that we went over tonight? Ron? Yeah, right over there would be right where they're at. If you look at your little map there, Jerusalem basically head right to the left, and that's where the Palestinians would be. So are they trying to take back the states you head back to Israel? You know, no. You, you, can't make a, you can't make a case that the Palestinians of today, any way whatsoever, could be related to the Philistines of biblical times to make this case. Some people try to do that, and that's a very thin case, and... Anyways, when you stop and you look at the area that God promised the nation of Israel in the promised land, that's all their land anyway. So, David. I don't know if he says that in Revelation. I, I know that there's some passages in there where God has said before not to fight. If I remember correctly, and I believe it's in the book of 1 Kings, um, when, the, when the nation of Israel split, they were going to go to battle against each other. And God basically stepped in and said, what are you guys doing? You know, why are you fighting each other? And if you really stop and look at what's happening over in the Middle East, you know, I'm obviously completely and utterly biased towards the nation of Israel. It's hard for me to see any of these claims that any of these groups have over there. Really, if you go back to Genesis, when you look at the area that God called off for the nation of Israel, Israel deserves a lot more land than what they got right now. And it's really easy for us to get frustrated and upset about that. And you know what? We just have to wait till the Bible times come fulfillment. When Jesus comes down and he returns for the second coming, then he'll make the kingdom the way it's supposed to be. Then he'll rule and reign from Jerusalem, and then it'll all be taken care of. You know, that's why the psalmist wrote, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Because when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you're really praying for the return of Christ, because that's the only way Jerusalem can have peace. Just like Jacob was talking about earlier when he's talking about the missions trip. You can't have peace without Christ. You just can't. And so we can't have peace over there in the Middle East until we truly have Jesus return and rule and reign the way he's supposed to. Anybody else have anything here before we go ahead and close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, just good to be here tonight. And Lord, um, we know you're fair. We know you're just. Lord, we know that you deal with sin. But Lord, we also know that you give righteousness, Lord, through Jesus. And we say thank you for that. Lord, if there's someone here tonight struggling with the past, I pray that you'd help them to move forward in you. Let them see how they can walk and be a new creation in Christ. Lord, if there's someone here tonight that maybe we're holding bitterness and anger towards somebody on how they have wronged us years ago, Lord, help us to walk in forgiveness towards them, to not walk in that bitterness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your love, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. 
Amen. A couple things. If we could have the chairs split here. Uh, we have a wedding this coming weekend, and we also need to get the communion table out front there. If some people don't mind helping with that, we would appreciate that.